Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the podcast, History Does You. Today, we're going to be talking about Alexander the Great, and we also had an interesting conversation with Dr. Philip Freeman. But before we get to that, be sure to follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at History Does You, or feel free to subscribe or follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Now, before we get into uh, the interview today, I definitely wanted to do some background on Alexander the Great because there's a lot of interesting history behind him and really the ancient world. I mean, Alexander the Great at you know the age of 30 created arguably one of the largest empires of the ancient world and spread Greek culture and philosophy and thinking pretty much throughout an area of the world that where that had never been. Before Alexander the Great kind of embarked on this campaign, uh, the Greek city-states and the Persian Empire, which was an empire that pretty much dominated from the border of modern-day India all the way to Greece. So it was a pretty large empire, and for the most part, it engaged in pretty aggressive military campaigns and tried to take Greece on numerous occasions. So in pretty much it was around 100 years earlier that uh, the Persians under Xerxes attempted to invade Greece um, two or three times, and there were obviously multiple battles at um, in the fifth century BC, the fifth and fourth century BC between uh, the Greek city states and the empires. And for the most part, the Greeks were able to win. Obviously, there was the sacking of Athens, Athens, and several military defeats for the Greeks, but uh, the Persian Empire had never been able to conquer the. Uh, or conquer the Greek city-states. Now, after the Greek, after the Persian Empire failed to do so, the Persian Empire mostly, you know, stuck to its own global affairs. It didn't really try to engage into try to invade Greece again. But with this came the rise of Athens and the rise of Sparta. Now, the Greek city-states had work together to fight against the Persian Empire because they were all under threat. But once the threat of an immediate invasion from the Persian Empire went away, the Greeks ended up fighting each other. Specifically, there was a series of civil wars between Athens um, or the different Greek city-states, but it culminated in the Peloponnesian War, which was um, the Greek city-states, Athens, and Sparta, and their allies essentially fighting against each other. And it was very... Uh, long and bloody conflict and pretty much destroyed, you know, Greek military power as a whole. And Athens, although Sparta eventually won, both um, city-states have been crippled, uh, have been crippled militarily, economically, and politically. So by the time Alexander was born in 330, uh, I think 330, Six BC, I believe, was when he was born. He, the Greek city states had already been weakened heavily from most of this internal fighting. So by the time his father Philip II began to lead probing invasions into the Greek city states, which at the time really wasn't really considered to be a Greek city state, they were more considered to be an outside foe, and that was purely because that. You know, most of the Greek city-states did not think of Macedonia, uh, where Alexander and his father were from, to be a traditional Greek kingdom, but they mimicked a lot of what the Greeks were doing. Um, But something that is interesting, Dr. Freeman will talk about, was that Greece or Macedonia was still a kingdom. It was not a city-state. They did not have a sort of democratic system 
uh, which many of the Greek city-states had adapted. Um, and there was also Sparta. Sparta was also an outlier. They still were a kingdom by definition. So for the most part, Macedonia sort of mimicked a lot of what the Greeks were doing in terms of their army, in terms of their culture, in terms of all of this. So by the time that uh, Alexander begins to lead his campaign against the fellow Greek city-states, you know, they're all in such a weakened position that despite, you know, fighting united like they had against the Persians, they were really no match for uh, the size and the skill of the Macedonian army. So it was fairly quickly that the you know, Greek city-states fell under the rule of Macedonia, which they didn't like because A, they didn't like being ruled, and B, they didn't like the having an outsider, which was what the Macedonians were considered um, ruling over them. Now, for the most part, Alexander was a brilliant young ruler, and one of the things that always stands out with me is him being one of the first soldier soldier. And by that definition, he was a man who was not only a brilliant strategist, but he led his men from the front. And I think he sort of set the example in the ancient world. And one of the very few commanders in the ancient world that wasn't afraid to, you know, lead his men from the front. And I think for the most part that contributed to why his armies was willing to follow him for as long as they did, wherever they went from, you know, you know, modern day Turkey to all the way to India, these men really sort of saw Alexander as kind of a god and were willing to follow and fight pretty much anywhere they went. Now, that's pretty much all the background that I had on Alexander. Uh, we'll definitely get into more detail with our interview with uh, Dr. Uh, Freeman. It's an awesome interview. He definitely highlights a lot of the key things that Alexander did um, throughout his reign and a lot of the key contributions that he made. Uh, not only to, you know, Macedonia, but also to just society as a whole. On today's podcast, we're lucky to have on Dr. Philip Freeman, who is a professor at Pepperdine University. He received his PhD in classics and Celtic studies from Harvard University, and he's also the author of multiple books about the ancient world, including biographies about Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and St. Patrick. So, Dr. Freeman, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Awesome. So just to start off, what uh, specifically interests you about the ancient world and how did you kind of get into that? Well, it's funny. I've been uh, I've been interested in history for years. Uh, when I was a boy, um, my father was uh, was in the American Air Force and we were stationed in Italy. And I think that was the first time that I ever saw any ancient ruins. Although back then I was much more interested in, you know, camping with Boy Scouts and things like that. But <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I did get to see some of these things, and I think that sparked an interest that really began uh, my interest in history. And then um, from there, it was just a matter of taking a few courses in college, and then I got into grad school, and uh, it's just it's been wonderful uh, since then. It's never never gotten old at all. Awesome. And what are some of the challenges that you've encountered trying to research and study uh, in the ancient world? Well, the uh, the first thing anybody has to do if they want to to seriously study the ancient world is to learn the languages. So to learn Greek or Latin, uh, depending on what you want to do, or both. Uh, so that's the first hurdle. And I'm certainly not a natural at language, so I spent <laughs> many years just really working at that. Uh, but then, I mean, the the main thing about the main challenge about the ancient world is we have so little uh, information that has survived, so few books. 
uh, you go down to the library and you look at the shelves and you see what looks like a lot. You see Cicero and Caesar and, and uh, Homer, but actually it's just a very small, small percentage of, of what we had. So our sources are quite small. Um, and then we, we also have archaeology, which is great. Uh, but an archaeology has done wonderful things, but that's a matter of interpretation. You look at something and you say, well, you know, what does this pot mean? What does this arrowhead mean? Uh, so it's really, I guess that would be the main challenge for anybody interested in history is to realize that you're very limited. Uh, if you want to study history and if you want to have lots and lots of sources, study modern history. <laughs> that, uh, that helps a lot. Uh, but ancient history is much more challenging. Uh-huh. Now, just to, now that we have background, we'll shift into today's focus on Alexander the Great. Uh, and just to start off, what would kind of best describe Alexander's childhood and upbringing? Well, he was uh, born in Macedonia, which was a, a part, really a, a part of Greece, northern Greece, beyond Mount Olympus, uh, that was kind of part of Greece and kind of not part of Greece. It was a, a wild and, and crazy sort of place, um, while the rest of Greece was, most of it was democracies or, or at least something stable. Uh, Macedonia was still a kingdom, very much like Game of Thrones. Uh, for anybody out there who's a fan of Game of Thrones, that's what Macedonia was like. It was murder and incest and uh, uh, kidnapping, everything you can imagine ha happening uh, happened in Macedonia. So it was a wild, uh, a wild place. Uh, and so Alexander grew up uh, in uh, in this place. He was one of, of many children uh, of uh, his father, Philip. Uh, Philip had a number of different wives. So there was no guarantee at all that Alexander would ever get to be king. Uh, but he had some uh, good advantages. He had um, just an incredible natural intelligence, an interest in the world. He had the best tutor you could imagine. He had Aristotle himself, uh, the philosopher who came and was a private tutor uh, to Alexander. And uh, somehow Alexander survived. Uh, he made it through. Uh, and eventually, uh, at about the age of 19, when his father was assassinated, Alexander became king. Uh -huh. Now, there is speculation that Alexander was in, took some part in Philip's assassination. In your research, did you find any evidence to support that, or do you think that's just simply a theory? It is a theory. Uh, it's an interesting theory, and uh, there were very few Macedonian kings who died of old age. Uh, they usually died in battle or they were assassinated, and it wasn't unheard of for a son to kill his own father. So it is possible. Uh, there is no good, hard evidence that Alexander um, had his father killed, uh, but um, it, it's it's possible. I, I kind of, you know, I don't think so uh, would be my guess if I was forced to make a guess. I really don't think so. Uh, his mother, uh, Alexander's mother, Olympias, maybe have been involved. I wouldn't be surprised about that. Um, but I just, I, I don't think Alexander was behind it. Although I think when it did happen, he certainly took advantage of it. Uh -huh. Now, by the time that Alexander became king of Macedonia, um, were the Greek states already sort of loyal to the kingdom of Macedonia, or did Alexander have to wage military campaigns in against the Greek city-states before invading the Persian Empire? Well, he, uh, they certainly were not loyal to Macedonia. They were ruled by Macedonia, but they uh, resented it. They thought of the Macedonians as barbarians. Uh, they uh, they they resisted. Uh, certainly, uh, they didn't like Philip, 
and when they saw his son take over, they thought this, you know, this kid, uh, this is our, this is our opportunity. Uh, and so uh, some of the cities, Thebes, uh, most notably, rebelled against Alexander. And Thebes was a very powerful city with a very uh, a good army and a, a good military tradition. And they uh, rebelled against Alexander. And Alexander uh, marched down and basically destroyed the entire city and killed most of the people uh, as uh, an example. Uh, he, he did this uh, as an example that uh, you don't rebel against Macedonian. It was a, a, a very harsh thing to do, very common in the ancient world. It wasn't unusual at all. But uh, it was a, a very harsh response. And after that, the Greek cities fell in line uh, and they really didn't give Alexander any more trouble. Uh-huh. So after he suppressed resistance pretty much in his own sphere of influence, what, were, what was Alexander's motivation behind his decision to invade and try to conquer the Persian Empire? Well, uh, it was his father's idea originally. Philip had been talking about it for a while. The Persian, uh, the Persian Empire was just immense. Uh, it stretched from uh, what's today Turkey all the way east uh, to uh, modern Pakistan. Uh, it in, encompassed Egypt. It encompassed Afghanistan. It was centered in what's now Iran. It was an enormous, wealthy, powerful empire. And Alexander uh, liked his father's plans, and so did the, the other Macedonians. Uh, and, but they thought what Alexander was going to do was a very limited sort of campaign, cross over into what's now Turkey, um, maybe take the, uh, the, the, the Greek cities that were along the coast, and that would be the end of it. Uh, and they thought maybe that was possible. But uh, Alexander, I think, from the very beginning, had much bigger plans uh, in, involving uh, Persia. Um, nobody thought it was possible, uh, I think, except Alexander. Uh, but he, uh, he was determined uh, to uh, take the war to the very heart of Persia. And what were some of the specific challenges facing Alexander when trying to conquer the Persian Empire, whether it was the size of the empire or the size of the Persians' army? Uh, what were just some of the specific challenges facing him? Well, size of the army, first of all, uh, was the big problem. Uh, the Persian army, it's, it's so hard to estimate numbers in the ancient world, but they had probably at least 100,000 professional, full-time, very well-trained soldiers uh, who could move around the empire fairly quickly. Uh, Alexander, we don't know his exact numbers, uh, maybe 20,000. It's, it's so hard to know, if that many. Um, so his, uh, he, he had um, a very limited army, very small size. Uh, supplies were always a problem uh, in the ancient world in warfare. You either had to ship things in or you had to live off the land, uh, and that was very difficult. Uh, and, and just the, the size of, of Persia. Macedonia was a, a tiny little uh, country, uh, even including Greece. Uh, it, would be, it would be something like uh, you know, if New Jersey decided to uh, conquer the United States. Uh, it would be uh, it, it's that sort of a of a size difference. Uh, and so Alexander uh, faced some uh, incredible uh, difficulties, but mostly it was the size and the skill of the Persian army. Now, just before we get into the specific details of his campaigns, who were some of the historians uh, that were documenting his campaigns and how did they go about it? Well, there were actual historians on the campaign um, with uh, Alexander who uh, recorded uh, things, you know, as they went along. Um, but the, the the historical sources for Alexander, this is this is the tricky part um, that we run into with uh, a number of different people. 
Alexander himself didn't write anything down. He's kind of like Socrates or Jesus. Uh, they, they were well-known historical figures, but they didn't record anything themselves. Uh, and so um, there were people who Alexander was employing uh, to uh, follow him around and, and write, these, uh, uh, write about these battles. Uh, and that uh, certainly uh, lends kind of a propaganda uh, angle uh, to the difficulty of, of figuring out what was going on. Uh, but the the later sources uh, we have uh, about Alexander, we don't have any of these original uh, early sources. We have um, we know that uh, people like Ptolemy, uh, who was a friend of Alexander from the very beginning, that he wrote a history. He was there. He was there from the very beginning uh, when Alexander was a boy. But that history was lost, uh, and so were some other histories. But they survive long enough for some later classical authors to use them. And so we get things like Arian, we get uh, Plutarch, uh, we get a number of different later historians who drew on these earlier sources. So we probably have, I think, a, a pretty accurate picture uh, of what uh, Alexander's campaigns were like. Uh, we have some historians who liked Alexander, we have some who didn't, uh, but I think put them all together and, and use them intelligently and we can get a pretty good picture uh, of what Alexander's war was like. Uh-huh. And generally, how did these historians describe Alexander as a military strategist and a leader? Well, uh, they are consistent in that. Even the ones who really don't like Alexander uh, had to admit that he was an absolute genius uh, in battle. Uh, he was uh, the sort of general, uh, unlike most generals in the ancient world, Alexander was out front. Uh, his he did not uh, he did not sit in back on top of a horse uh, and direct his troops. He was there in the front lines, and that was tremendously inspiring to his men. Um, he was uh, he moved fast. Uh, they all talk about his boldness, uh, his ingenious uh, use of, of of tactics, uh, doing daring things that that nobody uh, risky things uh, that nobody had ever done before, um, and uh, they that's that's basically it. Just his his genius in battle and his speed uh, were his uh, his the qualities that historians talk about the most. Uh, so just before he crosses over and what is modern day Turkey, generally, what was the makeup of Alexander's army? Was it mostly Macedonians or did the Greek city states send soldiers to, who, uh, participate in his army as well? Um, who they were, uh, yeah, yeah, it was it, the heart, the, the core of the army was Macedonian, uh, people who were loyal to Alexander, loyal to Macedonia. There were, uh, quite a few Greek troops, uh, some of which were very good, others which uh, which really didn't want to be there. Um, but the Greeks also, um, the, the, the city-states of Greece provided the Navy support, the, the, the naval support that Alexander needed as he moved along the coast, and that was important. But the heart of the army was Macedonian. Now, did this army sort of mimic a lot of what the Greek city-state armies had, specifically centered around spearmen and heavy cavalry, or was it sort of a hybrid of that? It was uh, the, the, uh, the, the center of the army was uh, infantry, uh, was spearmen, uh, people who uh, fought a uh, uh, hoplite, uh, what the Greeks called hoplite warfare, where you had heavily armored infantrymen uh, who had swords, who had shields, who had uh, spears. The spears were, were mostly used for, for stabbing and not throwing. Um, and, and then uh, you did have uh, cavalry, absolutely, they were important. Uh, and Alexander himself, when in battle, usually rode a horse. 
Uh, but um, but the cavalry were were support of the infantry, and that's the way it was really throughout most of the uh, of the ancient world. The Roman legions later on uh, would be infantry with cavalry support. Uh, so uh, it was uh, it was mostly infantrymen. And so obviously Alexander crosses in the modern day Turkey. What was the first major clash between the Persians and the Greek and Alexander's army, and how did it end? Well, the first battle was not far from the ancient city of Troy. It was at a small river called the Granicus River. Uh, and uh, the Persian army, when they heard about Alexander crossing over, the Persian king, uh, Darius, <coughs> excuse me, he, uh, he didn't even uh, bother to send uh, his, his whole army. He sent just the regional sort of uh, a governor uh, over with a small army. Uh, but still, it was bigger than, than Alexander's. Uh, and Alexander was facing them across the river. They were on one side of the Granicus River, up on top of the bank on higher ground, which is the position you always want to be in if you're in a fight, uh, especially in the ancient world. You want to be on higher ground. And so what Alexander did during this battle was uh, very daring. He did a charge uh, with his cavalry very fast over the river, up the banks, uh, and broke through the Persian lines. Um, and that was the key. That was the thing you wanted to do, was to break through the lines of your enemy. Uh, and he did lose a number of, of men doing this, but it was a, it was a success, uh, and he won the battle. Uh, would you kind of conclude that Darius underestimated Alexander and that did that generally change after this battle? It did. Uh, it, he he uh, once Alexander won the battle of the Granicus River and, and news got back to the Persian king Darius. Um, Darius began preparing his real army, his big army, and he knew um, that he couldn't get it together in time to you know send send the army to the Granicus River. So he um, pulled back. Uh, and uh, decided to, uh, to, to to that next year to have uh, to to face Alexander. Uh, it would be in northern Iraq, and so Alexander uh, was free to uh, pretty much free to uh, wander down uh, and conquer uh, what's now uh, Turkey, uh, and then down the coast uh, into uh, uh, eventually uh, into the border of Turkey uh, and uh, Syria. I said Mesopotamia earlier. It wasn't Mesopotamia. Uh, it was right at the border of, of uh, what's now Turkey and Syria. And that is where Darius uh, faced Alexander with uh, his, his whole, almost his whole army. Now, before that battle, if I'm not mistaken, Alexander also invaded Egypt and named the famous city of Alexandria after himself. Is there a reason that Egypt sort of fell so quickly or where they just did not want to resist Alexander? Uh, what was the reasoning behind that? Well, they had never really liked the Persians. Actually, the, the battle of, of uh, Isis or of Isis takes place before that. Uh, but then Alexander, after that, goes down uh, into Egypt. But uh, but the Egypt is, um, um, I mean, the Egyptians uh, had, had always felt the Persians had treated them badly. Uh, and so they welcomed Alexander. Uh, I think they didn't, they certainly didn't love him. He was just an opportunity. Uh, they thought that this kid was uh, going to throw off the Persian yoke and then go off and probably get himself killed. Uh, and then they would be free. So they thought, sure. Uh, we will make Alexander Pharaoh. Uh, he can found a city. That's great. Uh, and then uh, they thought he would uh, probably end up dead, but he didn't. Now, just before you mentioned it briefly, but the Battle of Issus, where Darius brought most of his army, what happened at that battle? Was it another major victory for Alexander or was it a more closely contested battle? 
Well, it was a tough battle. Uh, again, Alexander was seriously outnumbered. Uh, uh, Darius's army uh, and Alexander's, it's funny, in the ancient world, uh, when you didn't have drones and all of that, uh, armies could actually get lost. And that's what happened to both armies. So that uh, Darius ended up missing Alexander. Alexander missed uh, Darius and they you know, ended up wandering around until they finally ran into each other. Uh, and so Darius was on the north side of this uh, river and uh, Alexander was on the south side, and really it was pretty much the same strategy uh, as he had used at the Granicus River. Uh, Alexander burst through very fast. Uh, he charged, uh, he was outnumbered, and he charged uh, this other army, and he broke through the lines, uh, and he de defeated uh, Darius uh, and his army. He didn't kill them all. Uh, Darius certainly got away, and a lot of the army got away. Uh, but um, but he defeated him, and this was a huge psychological uh, and military victory uh, because he was able to um, to beat uh, this this great Persian army. Now, <clears throat> what exactly happened after that? Did Alexander pursue? Darius's army, or did Darius flee at, to kind of rebuild another army, um, or yeah. did Al Alexander lose a lot of men, so he had to wait a while? What exactly well, he happened? Did, he did lose some men, but uh, Darius went back to what's now Iran uh, to build up his army and to create and to, 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 to build an even bigger army. Uh, Alexander, uh, in the meantime, he didn't stop at all. He, Alexander never stood still. He uh, went south uh, into what's uh, now uh, Israel uh, and then eventually into Egypt uh, and uh, took over Egypt, founded Alexandria. And then he moved back up uh, in the same direction, uh, heading into uh, Mesopotamia, what's now Iraq. Now, <clears throat> pretty much the culmination of this campaign was the Battle of Guagamela. Guagamela, Guagamela, yes. Uh, could you describe kind of what happened there, and was this the final defeat of the Persian Empire? It was. Uh, Darius had learned his lesson, uh, and, and what he did was he set out the battlefield and prepared it very carefully on this huge plain. There were no rivers there uh, for uh, Alexander to use as defense. There was no mountains to hide behind. It was just an enormous plain, and Darius had an army I don't even know, nobody knows what the number was, but it was much, much bigger than Alexander's. It included battle elephants. Uh, it included um, um, chariots that had uh, basically swords on the wheels. Uh, it was huge. And so he lined up and any military person looking at this would have said, there's no way that Alexander can win. Uh, but Alexander, again, did something really, really odd, and it's hard to describe. Uh, but what he did is he took his smaller army, and he uh, he had his uh, he had some of his soldiers advance and hold the line against the Persian army, while he rode to the side. Alexander took his cavalry and rode just almost like he was running away. Uh, he he rode way way down the line and then turned at the last minute and broke through the Persian line at a weaker spot and then was able uh, to break the line uh, all the way along and almost, almost got uh, to Darius uh, and almost was able to either capture or kill him. I think he would have preferred to capture him, uh, but uh, he was able to decisively defeat and destroy the Persian army uh, of Darius at Galgamela in what's now northern Iraq. Uh, and then Alexander uh, had, had, had really, really won. 
And was there a reason that the Persian Empire pretty much folded very quickly after this? Or was it simply just Darius did not want to resist Alexander anymore? Uh, why what? did the Persian Empire fall so quickly? They had a tradition, really, that uh, once a king was defeated, uh, they uh, it, it wasn't. You know, I've asked myself this question, honestly, uh, why it, it folded so quickly. I think it was basically because they accepted Alexander as their new king. Uh, he was the new uh, king of Persia. Uh, and they were, okay, and many of them were okay with that. Uh, not everybody was. Uh, so they welcomed uh, Alexander. He went into Babylon and made that his, his, his capital. Uh, and um, they opened the treasury to him. Uh, and so they were willing to accept uh, uh, Alexander as a new king. Uh, in the ancient world, especially in Mesopotamia, they had been conquered so many times uh, by kings over the ages uh, that uh, the, the people uh, themselves uh, were willing to accept uh, uh, you know, another foreign ruler. Uh, Alexander was one in a long line of of foreign rulers. And so um, the uh, the eastern part of the Persian Empire, which was still enormous, uh, basically all of Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, that was still not part of Alexander's uh, kingdom. It was still unconquered. Uh, but um, the, the western part was. Uh-huh. So did, after pretty much taking Babylon, did Alexander adapt Persian customs or you know, inherit the government that was already in there in order to satisfy the people there? Or did Alexander take a different approach? Well, Alexander was very clever and he doesn't get enough credit, I think, as an administrator. It's one thing to be able to conquer an empire. That's hard enough. But to be able to administer it, uh, what he did was very smart. He basically took the existing bureaucracy, uh, the existing structure of the Persian Empire, and he, uh, he, he didn't try to change things. He didn't kick people out and try to put all of his own people in. Uh, and, and that, I think, uh, endeared him uh, to the Persian people. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he just adapted the Persian ways. And that did get him actually in trouble with his own men because he started doing things like dressing like a Persian. Uh, he uh, started uh, expecting um, Persians to uh, come uh, and, and what they call proskinesis, about kneeling and kissing uh, the feet of, of the king. And that was very much against Macedonian tradition. Uh, and so his core of Macedonian uh, soldiers, they thought, oh, no, Alexander's becoming Persian. Um, and some of them were uh, very upset about that. Uh, and uh, Alexander eventually would would end up executing some who were uh, the most uh, the most ob objecting to that. Uh, but he did, uh, and this was really the key for Alexander uh, ruling. Uh, he adapted Persian ways, uh, the the bureaucracy. Uh huh. So obviously Alexander had conquered the core of the Persian Empire, the western part, but the eastern part remained unconquered. Was it always his goal to conquer the entirety of the Persian Empire? Or was there any like idea of stopping or was it always to just keep conquering? Well, I think that his men certainly uh, expected him to stop uh, because he had uh, conquered uh, the heart uh, of Persia. He had taken Babylon. He had taken Susa. He had taken Persepolis. Uh, and uh, I think most of them expected him to stop, but Alexander wasn't interested in stopping. Uh, he uh, wanted to keep going. He wanted to take the entire Persian Empire and maybe even a little bit more. Uh, and so the next few years of Alexander's campaign, of his war, was in the east. Uh, it was uh, it was in um, 
eastern Iran, uh, and then especially in Bactria, what's now Afghanistan. And that's where things got really, really tough uh, for Alexander, because uh, as, as history teaches, uh, never get involved in a land war in, in Afghanistan, uh, because whether you're British or Russian or American, uh, you uh, tend to get bogged down there. Now, what were some of the challenges <clears throat> in his campaigns in modern day Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan? Was it specifically because of the terrain or was it because of the, you know, different tribes and culture there? Uh, why was it so difficult for Alexander? Yeah, all of the above, really. Uh, the uh, in, in Afghanistan, uh, it was very cold. It was very mountainous. Uh, it was very much a tribal sort of culture so that you, you didn't just have one battle and win the country. Uh, you had one battle and then won a valley. But there were a hundred other valleys uh, that you had to take. Uh, and so Alexander spent three years uh, in, in, in Bactria uh, just fighting. Uh, and also they had their fortresses on top of these inaccessible mountains. Uh, and so Alexander, uh, well, he, he had some very good Macedonians who were good at climbing mountains and they would, uh, they would go up and eventually uh, open the gates. But it was a, it was a time consuming and difficult thing to do. Uh, and Alexander uh, really, um, in order to uh, take Bactria, uh, he ended up uh, with a scorched earth sort of policy where he, uh, he, he didn't like doing that, uh, but he ended up uh, just destroying and killing uh, an awful lot of people uh, in order to conquer the territory. Now, eventually he's able to pretty much conquer the whole of the Persian Empire. Why was the idea of invading India? Was it something that he knew about before he got there? Or did he kind of just eventually get out of the mountains along the border of India and say, oh, look, like this is a new land I can conquer? What was his thinking behind trying to invade India? Well, India was very rich, uh, and the Greeks knew about it, uh, certainly. They had, had, had read uh, about India. Uh, Alexander had read the Greek historian Herodotus, who had written about India the, the century before. Uh, India was a prize, uh, just like it um, was for the British in the 1800s. Uh, and so Alexander wanted to invade all of India. They got there to what's now the westernmost part of modern India, uh, and Alexander said, okay, boys, let's keep going, and, and the army said no. This is it. We've been fighting for 10 years. Uh, we are not going to go any farther. Uh, and Alexander tried to persuade them. Uh, he, he did everything he could. Uh, but eventually they said, no, we just can't. We, we respect you. You are our king. Uh, we just can't do it anymore. And so Alexander uh, said, OK. Uh, and uh, they went back uh, eventually uh, to Babylon. I think Alexander certainly planned to go back to India, uh, recruiting uh, a new army of younger men, uh, but uh, his old army just couldn't do it anymore. And do you think if Alexander's army had not mutinied, do you think he could have advanced further in India? Um, or was there you know, just way too many kingdoms in India? Uh, what's your opinion on that? It would have been a very tough fight uh, because uh, India was very populous. There were some powerful kingdoms there. I think Alexander could have won. Uh, I think it would have been very difficult. I think it just, you know, looking from the perspective of history, it was time to take a break. And maybe Alexander realized that in the end, that he needed to get back to Babylon, consolidate his empire, uh, start training a new generation of soldiers, and then he could go back to India. Because uh, I, I think he might have won, but I think it might have been a, a, a too costly a victory. So he went back to, uh, to Babylon and, and did those very things. 
Now, do you think that just all of the campaigning that he did over those 10 years contributed to his untimely death? Do you think he had taken a break, you know, before trying to cross into India? Or do you think it was just odd circumstances in, that led to the deaths of young people in the ancient world? In the ancient world? Well, Alexander was uh, 32 when he died, almost 33. And he had suffered from malaria. He had suffered from a number of diseases. He, he uh, uh, had injuries all over his body, uh, some of which probably would have been fatal uh, to, uh, to other people. Uh, but he... Uh, I think he was worn down, physically worn down, maybe even more than he knew. Uh, and so I think that contributed to his uh, his death uh, in Babylon at the age of 32. I think we don't know exactly what he died of. It could have been typhus. It could have been any number of, of, of things. But I, I think Alexander uh, physically needed a break uh, and he was uh, physically weak at that time. But um, one thing that you know certainly we can 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 think about today uh, with the coronavirus going around in uh, where, you know, our world is changing because of that, we have to realize that was actually very common in the ancient world. Uh, and, and diseases, plagues would come in and they wouldn't kill one or two percent of the people. They'd kill 50 percent uh, of the people. Uh, and this would happen a lot. Uh, and so uh, Alexander was uh, uh, you know, part of it was just that's the world he lived in. People died of diseases a whole lot more. But part of it was that I, I, he was he was worn down. Mm -hmm. So of all the military campaigns that Alexander waged, for you, what do you think his most impressive one was? Well, I think Galgamela, the big one, was uh, he faced this enormous army uh, in this impossible circumstance, uh, and he was able to, uh, to, defeat, uh, to defeat the Persians. And it really uh, it changed uh, you know, the course of world history. Uh, if, if Alexander uh, hadn't defeated the Persians, uh, what would have happened? You know, would, would, would Hellenistic culture, would Greek culture have spread across the world like it did? I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, the fact that, uh, that the Romans ended up studying Greek and, and learning uh, uh, and the fact that we read Homer nowadays in high school, uh, I think all of that would have changed uh, if, if Alexander hadn't, uh, hadn't been able to defeat the, the Persians. He really did change the world. And overall, what do you think the legacy of Alexander the Great is? Well, I think the overall legacy of Alexander is uh, the spreading of Greek culture uh, uh, around the Mediterranean and beyond so that it became a legacy of European history. So that it's something we study and learn about today. And we study geometry of Euclid. We study the poetry of Homer. Uh, we study the philosophy of Plato. Uh, I think uh, we I think. It, the Greeks would be a very small players in history uh, if it hadn't been for Alexander s deliberately spreading Greek culture uh, like he did. Now, <clears throat> just one quick question. Why did Alexander name so many cities after himself? Was this just something <laughs> he did regularly or was this part of his kind of deliberate plan to spread, you know, Greek culture or was it, it just it was. part? Yeah, it was. I mean, first of all, he wasn't modest. Uh, you know, yeah, you, you can't be to name, you know, 20 cities or so after <laughs> yeah. yourself. Uh, but it was a very deliberate part of spreading Greek culture. What he did is he would found an Alexandria. There were quite a few of them. And then he would, uh, his veterans, say his veterans who were wounded or just getting too old to fight, he would settle them as the leaders of that city uh, and, and hopefully marry them to uh, local women. Uh, and so, uh, and, and give them money, give them what they needed to, uh, to, to help spread. And that was a really great way to spread culture was to found these colonies. 
Uh, but the big, Ale the big Alexandria, the one we always think of in Egypt, uh, was his greatest success. And uh, it became the largest city in the ancient world, uh, maybe a million people. It became a truly cosmopolitan in the sense of the, the Greek sense of the word of a world city where you had uh, cultures, Jews, Arabs, Greeks, uh, Africans, everybody coming together there. Uh, it became the, the depository of, of literature in the ancient world, the Library of Alexandria. Uh, so that was, I, I think, probably, you know, the legacy of, Alexand of Alexander was um, was this great uh, this great Greek culture uh, that, uh, among other things, gave me a job, and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what happened to Alexander's empire after he died? Well, it fell apart very quickly. That tends to happen with with empires, whether it's Charlemagne or Alexander. Uh, he uh, he died. Uh, he uh, famously on his deathbed, uh, they asked him, uh, "Who do you give your empire to?" And he said, "The strongest." Well, that was just a that was just a, a, a beginning of civil war. So his generals uh, split up the empire. Ptolemy took Egypt. Uh, other generals took other parts, uh, and so uh, they. Uh, it became a, a, a series uh, of a number of different kingdoms uh, after that, and the empire itself uh, was split into pieces. Do you think if Alexander had, you know, named a successor and had a, you know, line of people, you know, to the king, um, do you think his empire could have survived, or do you think because it was so large with so many different people, it would have fallen apart? Quickly. I think I think with the right person it probably could have survived. I think uh, I think if Alex what I've thought about is if Alexander had lived he was 32 when he died. What if he had lived another 40 years into his 70s? Uh, he was already planning at his death to invade uh, Arabia, the rich frankincense areas of Oman and, and Yemen. Uh, and uh, he certainly uh, there there's talk that he had plans to head west uh, and to uh, to uh, conquer Carthage and Italy and Rome. Uh, I think if Alexander had lived, uh, his empire would have stretched. Certainly he would have conquered India. I think it would have stretched at least from Spain uh, to the, the mouth of the Ganges River uh, in India and probably down the coast of Africa and um, maybe up into the north. I don't know. It would have been uh, enormous. Uh, and I think Alexander could have held it together. I'm not sure anybody else could have. Now, generally, what has been the most interesting aspect of your research in the Alexander? Oh, goodness. Uh, just the trying to, uh, well, for me, what's interesting about writing biographies of people in the ancient world and I've written several on Alexander the Great, on St. Patrick, on Sappho, um, is trying to just trying to find the person uh, behind uh, the, the, the stories. Uh, and so Alexander's the person of Alexander, what strikes me about him is that he was just the embodiment of ambition, uh, probably to 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 too great of an extent. Uh, but uh, we all have ambition, but nobody uh, came close to uh, to Alexander. Uh, he was just uh, his 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 brilliance, uh, his ability in battle, but his unconquerable uh, ambition, his drive. The Greeks call it pothos, this burning uh, desire that he had. Uh, that was something to something fascinating and frightening uh, to to look at and to study. 
Now, that was pretty much all the questions I had. Is there anything that you would like to add for my listeners that, you know, I did not ask you or any details about Alexander that you think they should know? Oh, just, there's so much about Alexander. We just touched the, the, the top of the iceberg here. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of great books on Alexander out there. There's lots of great books about uh, his, his age and his time. So I recommend it to anybody. Uh, history, ancient history never gets old. Uh, all of the literature... And we just had that interview with Dr. Philip Freeman. And again, he's super knowledgeable. And I definitely would recommend uh, reading more about Alexander the Great. He's a super interesting figure, uh, not only in the ancient world, but still in world history. I think he still has some relevance. And I think one of the key takeaways I get was, and something I didn't truly understand, was Alexander's role in spreading you know, Western and Greek culture in the places that really had never been before, specifically in the former Persian Empire and as far as India. And really his exploits in terms of the ancient world were his ability to not only win on the battlefield, but also his ability to create an empire and maintain it, although very brief, was really impressive. And what was also super impressive was the ability to wage multifaceted military campaigns in all these different places, whether it was, you know, the plains of Mesopotamia or the mountains of modern day Afghanistan or, you know, in the rivers in India. You know, Alexander really, he never lost the battle. And again, he not only was a brilliant military commander, but he also was a leader. He was a man who, you know, led from the front and, you know, commanded a certain level of loyalty from his men. And really by the end, although for really 10 years, it was the same group of soldiers that were, you know, following him really from when they crossed over the Aegean Sea in the Turkey to the Indian Ocean, or to India, uh, my mistake. And he really was able to, you know, create an empire that I always think what could have been. And, you know, I asked this question to Dr. Philip Freeman, but, you know, Alexander, you know, was, you know, he's focused on potentially invading uh, Rome. He was focused on invading the Arabian Peninsula. He wanted to actually cross over and fight in India. I mean, he had all these ambitions, um, like many military commanders that were the follow, that, you know, it's always what could have been. I always like thinking about that aspect of history and thinking about, well, you know, what could have happened if, you know, said leader hadn't died or said battle, you know, had happened. Um, there's always these questions about Alexander, but I think his legacy and similar to, you know, Dr. Philip Freeman, not only his military brilliance, but also his role in spreading, you know, Greek culture, although probably influenced by his own ego and ambition to do so really focused on, you know, spreading Greek culture in a way that hadn't really been done before. And although, you know, we see this because the Romans in a lot of ways mimicked a lot of what the Greeks did and they saw, you know, Alexander's great military success and his cultural success. And they saw that and really tried to mimic that. If you look at, you know, the Roman gods, for example, a lot of what they did mimicked the Greek system. And with the Roman Republic, a lot of it mimicked the, you know, democratic system that developed within the Greek city states. So although, you know, Alexander the Great was a king by definition. He was someone who, by spreading all these different ideas and culture and stuff like that, was able to do, was able to, you know, ha he had a lot of admirers after, 
the after he had done all these different things. And I think one of the other key takeaways, and that's always and something that's interesting besides the military prowess, was the founding of Alexandria. Um, and that city really grew into, you know, one of the flourishing centers of the ancient world with all these different cultures coming forward. And as Dr. Freeman talked about, you know, it's super interesting to just think about how this sort of shifts after the after Alexander's conquest, the Persian Empire had kind of gone away. And after, you know, pretty much centuries of this development of Eastern culture and stuff with the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and the Persians, that sort of goes away. And obviously, there is obviously plenty of revivals of this Eastern culture, but it's really through Alexander's military campaigns that Western culture begins to spread, you know, throughout the ancient world. And it's always interesting if, you know, the Persian Empire had been able to conquer the Greek city-states, if, you know, the Romans, you know, would have mimicked Eastern culture and Eastern types of things. So obviously, there's all these different scenarios that you can play through, but obviously the way that history plays out, Alexander's key contribution to the, you know, ancient history is this, not only his military prowess, and I think, you know, obviously me being a little bit biased and loving military history was this, obviously being super successful on the battlefield, but he had an even greater role in spreading this uh, culture and all these different things that often get overlooked, I think, um, especially just with all those ideas that, you know, are still studied today in a lot of cultures and stuff, uh, talk about. Um, so that's everything that I had. I hope you enjoyed the interview in this episode on Alexander the Great. I would definitely encourage you, um, to watch. There is a movie about him out there. There's a lot of great books. Um, I would definitely encourage you to read Dr. Freeman's book. It's super detailed and really gets into a lot more detail than we did. This was Marvin Overview. And as always, feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at History Does You in order to keep on updates about different episodes and content coming out. And also subscribe or follow us on Spotify uh, to keep up with different episodes is so you don't have to uh, look on Anchor to get those. And as always, uh, enjoy uh, this episode and definitely look back. And we're definitely going to be covering a lot of different uh, topics. Uh, yeah.